This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is... Dan Piquette. And our guest today is Brian McClellan. Woo! We, we ch- There's a soundtrack that sounded... Okay, let's talk about <laughs> we're drinking. It's fine. We're really professional on this show. So I actually am finishing off the Kettle One Vodka Spritz Peach and Blood Orange. I will never purchase this again, but I had some left, so I'm going to finish it on this because it's only got 3.6% alcohol, which to me is lame. So that's what I'm going <laughs> to think about that. Jen, since you're, I'm probably drinking something close to what you are now, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Earl Grey tea because I can't have alcohol. Boring. Okay. Brian, what are you drinking? I am drinking um, High West whiskey from a distillery on the other side of the mountain from me. Very nice. Very nice. You got a cute little glass. People should watch this show because that glass is adorable. It's a whiskey <laughs> sipper glass, but it's adorable. Okay. So for our audience members who may not know who you are, tell us about what you write. So I write epic fantasy novels. Um, my, uh, so I, I, I kind of land in the subgenre of flintlock epic fantasy, which is basically epic fantasy in a world in which it's having an industrial revolution. Um, so magic and Napoleonic sort of French revolution vibes. Flintlock. I've never heard that flintlock high fantasy. I like that. I'm going to keep saying flintlock because there's not often you get to say that term. So <laughs> you, need, you need to add musket to it. Right. Flintlock and musket high fantasy. Okay. Um, when did you start writing? Um, I mean, I, I wrote a story for a contest uh, when I was in third grade. Ooh. Um, what was your that, story about in third grade? It was awful. It was, um, you know, just as awful as you'd expect a third grader to write. Um, it was like two pages long and it was about being kidnapped. And then if I vaguely, I vaguely remember it was something like, me kicking the kidnapper in the nuts and getting away. And that was it. Like that was the whole story. It was about two pages long and my teacher loved it. And she, I won the, the, like the little class uh, contest, but then she submitted it to the greater, you know, like grade uh, contest. And I did not win that one, uh, which is a pity. I don't know who won now that I'm thinking about it. Well, we should find out and take out your competition immediately. Right. I'm I'm very worried about that. I would be. I mean, <laughs> of course, then you find out who won. It was like Jonathan Mayberry. And you're like, okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> but so um, interesting being kidnapped and kicking somebody in the nuts. So you had a fun childhood, obviously. Yeah. You know, it was just like a, it was like an imag, it was just like a little imaginary thing. I, I think I even wrote a second chapter, which was the exact same thing, except with like some science fiction elements. Um, so, you know, I, I had a good start as a professional writer because that's I, I, what you do, right? You just write the same boring shit until people stop buying your books. Well, uh, yes. 
I actually think that's accurate. We, we all wrote stories. A lot of us, I should say, wrote stories when we were younger. I have one. I've saved it in a folder because I'm going to add it. We, we publish an anthology called Teen Angst, which <laughs> you can put all your stories, love letters, poems, whatever crap, you know, was going on in your teenage years. And I still have mine that literally starts with, it was a dark, stormy night. <laughs> Very so nice. we know this is riveting riveting material here that everyone must read but i think we all had stories like that when did you um so growing up did you go you know what i'm going to be a writer that's what i'm going to do when i grow up <laughs> no i was a i was a massively um directionless child um all the way through until i was about 17 or 18 um i showed interest in nothing i liked video games i liked hanging out with my friends i liked being left alone by my parents and I didn't do enough of the first two and did too much of the, of, of the folks, you know, kind of like, Brian, what are you going to do with your life? Um, do this, go to church, go hang out with, you know, uh, people that we know, all that stuff. Um, I was very directionless. I just, um, and so there was a point at which my mom, uh, I think in a last act of desperation, because I hadn't looked at colleges, had, I did, just didn't care at all. Um, there was nothing that interested me in, in schoolwork or anything like that. And I think as a last act of desperation, my mom signed me up for this little summer camp um, at, at a university where you go away for, it was like eight or nine days. Mm -hmm. And they had like four different topics that you would get a crash course in. And it was like, one of them was mathematics and one of them was like biology or something. But the one she chose for me was to go do a crash course in writing. And, uh, and I went to it. And I think I was about 17. I think it was the year between my uh, junior and, or the summer between my junior and senior years. Um, and I went to this thing and, um, and I did my first, what I would eventually learn is just a standard writing group where we would, we, we all basically, we went in, we did the first class, we introduced each other. Uh, and then the teacher basically said, okay, go away for the next three days and write and do nothing else. Just write. And, uh, and we did. And I, I don't even remember what I write. I think I, I cheated and wrote an expansion of something that I had written in my English class that my English teacher had really loved uh, the previous year in, in high school. Um, and it had been like a, it, it was like a, it was another one of those like two page stories, but it was like kind of a comedic, like it was me meeting a alternate dimension version of myself. Um, and I'm trying to, I think this is what I did for that class. Um, and I expanded on that. I, I expanded out to five or six pages or something like that. Um, and then I handed it in for my uh, little writing group and, uh, and then kind of my first inkling that maybe I'm okay at this was I got to the writing group and we just did the standard thing where we went around and each person would, uh, critique, you know, your, give you critiques and everything. And we got to me. And everybody said, this was very funny and it was really entertaining and I have no comments. And, uh, and I remember very specifically the very cute girl sitting next to me that I was way too shy to talk to uh, saying exactly that. And, and something in the back of my brain went, oh, there's something I'm good at. I've never been good at anything before. And, uh, and so then I kind of, I kind of like showed an interest and, uh, and I think I spent my entire senior year of high school. I, I had, I had finished pretty much everything. I was not a great student, but I was not a bad student either, but 
I had finished most of what was required and my, my like final uh, semester of high school, um, I had, I think only like two real classes and then the rest of it was study halls. And so I spent every study hall just writing, you know, by hand, epic fantasy, just because I was like, oh, I think I might be actually good at this. And, uh, and so I started doing that and I showed it to my best friend and he rolled his eyes a lot at me. Um, but, uh, but then, then I went to school for uh, just as an English major, because I was the closest thing I knew of. And, uh, and yeah, and I ended up, I ended up in a class with a totally brand new, not known author named Brandon Sanderson. Um, oh, just who, him. Okay. who was, he was, he had basically, he had just put out his first novel. Um, I can't remember if he had just put it out or if it was just about to come out and he was a grad student and he, uh, and so they had given him this, this like uh, sophomore level writing class to teach. Um, and, uh, and I remember doing that class and, and I met a few fun people. I kind of did writing group and I expanded on some things I was working on and I felt pretty good about it. And, uh, and it was fine. Uh, and then the, the following year, that class came around again and it was a, it was a repeatable elective. So the class came around again and I was like, man, I am not doing well with this whole college thing. I'm really bad at going to class. I hate sitting and taking notes. This is terrible. Uh, I better take electives that will weigh my grade up. Uh, and I knew I had taken like, uh, by the time I got to that other, that next year, I had taken like three writing classes and I had aced all of them. No problem at all. Uh, with, with very little effort, which, you know, isn't really a brag considering how badly I was doing with everything else in college. Um, and, uh, and so I came around to that class again and I, I just took it again. And by that point, Brandon had come out. Uh, he had done pretty well. You know, he didn't have Wheel of Time yet, but he was a bona fide epic fantasy author. Um, and I remember uh, getting back my final, which the final was just you turned in a packet of what you'd worked on that year and Brandon would read it and he would give you a, a grade basically on what kind of effort he felt you put into it. Uh, but then he would write you a, a separate note saying how he felt about your prospects as a, as a writer. Uh, and that note came back and he said, uh, this is my, I think it was his third year, uh, either helping with or teaching the class. And he said, this is the best thing I've had. I've read since I started this, you should keep doing this. And, uh, and honestly, like that, like was amazing. That was the wind beneath my wings for like five years. I, I uh, would say that would be the wind beneath your wings. Not a lot of authors get that kind of experience. Awesome. A lot of them don't do well in this, the English classes and stuff like that, because sometimes they're being taught by people who wanted to be authors and then were unsuccessful at being authors and then take that out on everyone out there. I say that with, um, a tenured professor is the co-host of this call, so it's fine. <laughs> but you know exactly what the hell I'm talking about, Jan, so shut yeah. it. But yeah, it's, it's true. true. Like, we, we talk to a lot of people who don't get the best feedback necessarily through their college experience. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I had a few different creative writing teachers, and uh, and I think I only had one of them, which I didn't – they weren't really my teacher because I took them for a single day and realized that I was not going to like that person because they were exactly what you just described. Um, and I dropped that class really quickly. But the other creative writing teachers I had were all 
lovely. They taught me interesting things and I liked them. And, uh, but kind of meeting Brandon was the only thing I got out of college. Uh, well, actually, no, I should not say that because I met my wife at college too. So, okay, meeting, yeah, no. <laughs> but in a, in a professional capacity, meeting Brandon was pretty much the only thing I got out of college. Uh, and, uh, and honestly, it, it, it really, like I said, it was the wind beneath my wings for a good five years or so uh, until, uh, until I actually sold. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of, that, that was kind of my journey. I mean, I, I kind of skipped some things. I think when I was about 15 or so, I, I really got into wheel of time fan fiction for a summer. Uh, and I wrote it live voraciously and read it voraciously. And then at some point, something kind of just kind of went, ah, oh, you know, I'm kind of sick of doing fan fiction. I'd rather do my own stuff. Um, uh, and that's not a slam against fan fiction at all. Uh, it was just kind of what my brain did. And, um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I had a few different people tell me that, that I was decent at this. Um, I, I remember my senior year of high school, uh, kind of after I had decided I really wanted to look into this writing thing. Um, I gave uh, one of those epic fantasies, the, like um, uh, one of those epic fantasies that I had been writing during, um, during my uh, study halls. I gave it to my English teacher. Who I really respected. She's awesome. In fact, my, I think my, fifth book is dedicated to her. Um, she's so great. Uh, but she, I, I gave her that, uh, right before Christmas break. And I remember getting back from Christmas break and getting into class for the first time and sitting down and she was just kind of doing her normal warming up the class thing. And she picks up this manuscript from the, her, from her desk, walks down the aisle, looks down at me and just drops it in front of me. And it's covered in red ink. And she she just goes, I really expected to hate that, but I liked it. Well done. And then she just turned around and walked away. And she had basically gone through and given me notes on every single page. Uh, well, that sounds like a character that needs to be written in a story by itself doing that. That is like totally something you would read in a book or see in a movie. Somebody walking and doing that. And I love the accent. That was brilliant. So, so um. So was it five years from college when you got your first book out or first publication? What was the first thing you actually did in the world? Um, let me see. I, I always forget whether I was 24 or 25. Um, but I, so I, um, yeah, I, in, so let's see, I believe it was, if I'm remembering right, fall 2011, I finished promise of blood. My first big, this, this one right over here, uh, behind me. Um, I finished Promise of Blood uh, and I sent it out uh, on submission. And I, uh, I, I, I kind of didn't expect anything. I, in fact, I sent the first draft, which is like the thing that they tell you to not do, because I figured uh, like, okay, I'll, I'll send out a query letter and I'll send the first three chapters. And then, you know, everything I've read says, oh, it'll take me three, four months before I hear back from anybody. So I'll have plenty of time to do edits before anybody requests a manuscript. And uh, like, and again, this is going to like totally be bragging and I'm, I'm fine with bragging. Um, Brag away. I had, I, I think I sent out my first batch of queries was like 15. Uh, and I think a full half of them requested <clears throat> something from me. And then, um, and then I ended up within like three weeks, I had two offers of representation from agents. Um, wow. and, and that was half of my first draft. And I remember being like, but it's not as good as it needs to be. And then when I, I chose my agent um, and we had the agreement the 
first conversation we had was her saying, okay, Brian, you are now my client. Um, I have taken you on because you are young and enthusiastic and clearly talented, but you're not good enough. So we're going to spend the next eight months or however long it takes editing this book. And she did. She, uh, so she had been a former editor. She was, I think with Scholastic maybe um, before she became an agent. And so she put me through the paces and made me do a pretty su substantial rewrite on it. Um, and then, uh, and then it was, it was one of those things that was really harrowing because at the time I lost my, uh, my wife and I both lost our jobs. Uh, so I'm unemployed. I'm not making any money. We're living in a shoebox. Uh, in Ohio, which, you know, a shoebox in Ohio, you can imagine how cheap that is. That's all we could afford. Um, so, so I was like freaking out every time she'd send me like new notes and she'd say, oh, well, I think you should still rewrite this. And I'm like, we need to submit it. I don't have any money. I don't have a job, please. We've got to go somewhere with this. And, and after a while, she finally said, oh yeah, okay, this is, I feel good about this. Let's, let's go ahead and submit this. Um, and she gave me the lecture that I, I imagine most agents give, which is, all right, Brian, there's no guarantees in this business. I have a lot of faith in this book, uh, but you're, there's a chance that you're not going to get any offer at all. So you know, just buckle down, try to forget it. But I am submitting. And, uh, and she called me, and this is another total brag, but I'm really proud of this. She called me like a week later and was like, uh, so we have a, we have a, we have a preliminary offer and, and I, and, and I'm like, what, really already? And she says, Oh yeah, we have a preliminary offer. Um, and it's, uh, it's for a hundred thousand dollars for three books. And my, like my head wanted to blow up and my agent and I, 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 I freaked out. And I'm like, my, my wife is like on the phone with me, like standing next to me listening. And we're like freaking out silently to each other. And I was like, okay, so we're going to take this, right? And then she just laughs and like, cool as a cucumber. She goes, Haha, no, we're going to get more money than that. And like, I just, I, I absolutely flipped my shit because I'm like, is she going to ruin this for me? Um, and, but then we ended up going to auction and, uh, and doing quite well with uh, three different publishers bidding on it. And, uh, and it did well. Um, and it's funny because it actually... Uh, Promise of Blood came out and its first year it got uh, pretty well reviewed, um, but it kind of the sales were a bit lackluster, um, especially for something that came out uh, after an auction. Um, but my uh, editor basically said, you know, I, I think this book is good enough that if we if people if we can get it in people's hands, they're going to like it. And she kind of uh, did a thing which I, I don't really see very often. She basically just dropped the price of the book down to $2 for the ebook for like nine months, but then put a bunch of publicity for it. And we sold something like 30,000 copies at that price point. And then when the second book came out, Crimson Campaign, uh, that book in hardcover and expensive ebook did really well. And then kind of that actually is kind of what jumpstarted my career and then made it so that I didn't have to go get another job and I didn't have to you know, kind of get back to the grind or anything. And, and that's, I've kind of been floating on that ever since. You know, no, that's amazing. And I, I want any authors listening going, that's amazing, but don't put all those pennies in that particular bucket. Cause that little wishing well is not the norm, which is no. fantastic. You experienced that, but that's 
not the norm. But I think to your point, what you, what you, what they did was very important and something that people should understand. A lot of people are um, backlist. I think a lot of people don't pay enough attention to backlist and how important it is, especially if that's your book one, to get it in the hands of people, not you know, lessen the value of it, but get it in the hands because then people hit buy when the next one comes out and the next one comes out. And then you have a backlist situation that continues to occur for mm -hmm. you. And even when your next book in a different series comes out, they go, oh, there's this other series. I think these readers tend to do that. So we will just keep hitting buy on the backlist, right? Yeah. So that's amazing. That is a fantastic story. Other than the shoebox part of it, I'm sure there are terrible parts of it where you're like, this is not happening. I'm never going to do this. I should get a job at McDonald's. What oh, yeah, definitely. I, um, yeah, I, I didn't, I was very lucky in a bunch of ways. I, I kind of had, there's, there's a lot of people you'll, you'll hear about, okay, to, to be successful, especially like in an artistic endeavor, you have to have equal parts or, or you have to balance out on luck and skill and charisma and all these other like vague intangibles. And I, I, I kind of, I kind of did, I was able to balance all those things out and able to get a career out of it. I think the stars aligned. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, so this all, sir, how many books are you up to now that you published? So I've got uh, six full length novels out. Um, I have a bunch of, novellas uh that i've written in the powder mage universe that i self-published um and then i've got uh these two here are uh they're they're short novels or long novellas however you want to qual qualify them um and they're a self-published urban fantasy series called valkyrie collections um and uh and so so yeah i've got I've got six big epic fantasies, which is kind of my bread and butter. You know, um, like these are kind of a, they're really fun to write. I really need to get to the third one, uh, which I have been promising people for like two years now. Uh, <laughs> I, but uh, so these are huge and fun, fun to write and they're kind of a good palate cleanser, but the big epic fantasies um, are my kind of bread and butter. And, uh, and then the seventh of uh, my seventh book, which is the first book in a new series called Glass Immortals. Um, that'll be out from tour uh, in June of 2022. Very, very cool. Okay, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about these two different publishing things, but we have to take a quick break and we will be right back with Drinking With Authors. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Okay, we're back. So you did traditional, but you've also done self-publishing. Yes. Why did you choose to do that? Um, so I, I have a little bit, I'm, I do not claim to be an expert or anything. You know, the, a lot of self, like really successful self-publishers are people that actually started in marketing and then decided to write a book. Uh, yeah. and, and that kind of ends up how their career goes. Um, I, I have a little bit of interest in business. 
I, my dad owned his own business and I, I just kind of like the ins and outs of being in control a hundred percent of, of projects. Um, and so I, I kind of, uh, I took that and then combined that with, you know, I'm an author, you know, what if my next book flops, I really should have multiple income streams. Um, and, uh, and so I decided, all right, I'm going to start playing around with self-publishing a little bit. And I did like, uh, the powder mage novellas, um, which is another thing I've been promising people for a while is because, because the powder mage novels are over. Uh, and I, at the moment, I have no intention of going back to them, uh, at kind of full length, but I really want to continue writing like novellas inside the world just to keep it alive and just for fun. Um, but, uh, so I, I started doing those, uh, I started with a couple of short stories and my fans seemed to really eat them up. And, uh, and so I did some novellas and, um, and, and honestly, it was just kind of fun to, to play with the entire process. I can't say I like the whole process, you know, it's a bit stressful, you know, trying to, uh, corral 30 beta readers and then, uh, trying to corral, um, you know, uh, pricing out an artist that I like, but also will be dependable. Um, because, you know, I, artists like other creatives, including myself as an author, artists tend to be huge flakes. Um, and that, and, and from the business standpoint, that's very frustrating. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, but I like, there was a lot of things that was fun and I wound up with an, uh, an artist that I really love and who was super easy to work with. Uh, but that was after a few false starts. Uh, and you know, it was just, it's just one of those things that I like kind of putting my fingers in and playing with the things and seeing how the sausage is made, uh, personally. Um, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay at it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not the greatest or anything, but I'm not, I'm not bad at it either. Uh, and so it's an extra little income stream. You know, I haven't done a new self-published thing for, I think two years and, and it's still a measurable amount of my income. Um, you know, my little backlist of self-published. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a fun thing to do and it's good for me business wise. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I went at it. Two years, it seems like you're overdue, like massively two years. I mean, I'm, just I'm very for overdue. Your fans, I'm, I'm just going to say, hypothetically, you may be overdue for some of these stories. <laughs> so, so. I, I, I don't mind being overdue for a novella two years. Um, you know, it's actually, so my last Powder Mage novel came out, gosh, I, I can't actually remember. I think it was... Uh, December of 28, 2019. So that also has been a little while, two and a half years. Um, gosh, somebody's going to correct me. I genuinely, I have no memory for these things, but it came That's out okay. a while ago. We encourage your fans to just come on when you're, we post these on Instagram and be like, listen, we're going to do date and character correction for you because <laughs> fans remember our work better than we do. Right. Right. I don't, I don't remember anything. Um, and, and so it, uh, so it, but it, it's actually really stressful that I don't have another novel out until next year because it's been so long and, and two epic fantasy fans, you've got the, the extremes of Brandon Sanderson who puts out a new book every three weeks, um, versus, you know, Gurm and Rothfuss. Um, and so, so you've got those two extremes, but to somebody who's kind of like a, a working 
fantasy author who pays their bills, who is not a millionaire, but does well and pays all their bills, um, you kind of need to get a book out every year. Uh, and, uh, and so the fact that it's been so long is actually super stressful to me, uh, because you know, that I, I've got the advance money, but you know, earning out and getting royalties is going to take a little while probably. Um, and so it's going to be a while until I'm seeing like actual checks. And so that's kind of like the, I don't know, that's the personal finances side of the job, uh, is, is trying to line everything up so you don't have a gap in being able to pay your bills. Well, I think, you know, you just said something that I think is so true, which is, you know, I talk about, I've talked about this before, but working actors, I don't think people realize who working actors are versus a list that can do a movie once every few years and they get $80 million so they can just kind of coast through the next thing. And then there are the people that you see show up in TV shows and different movies and stuff on these bit parts. And like an example of this who's actually at Megacon this Nicolas weekend. Cage. Who? I'm sorry, did I just say Nicolas Cage? No, that's, a, that, different, think... that's a different bad finances story. I that's love different him. Bad finance. I was talking about like Michael Roker, who plays like Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy. He was Merle in The Walking Dead. He's, mm -hmm. you know, he just played, what's his name in the new Suicide Squad, which all those yeah. characters lasted like three seconds. So, but Spoilers. He a, he's a working actor. Like he works and i'm sure he makes money and i'm sure it's okay, good money but it's not i'm going to go get a 40 million dollar mansion in los angeles and not have to work for five months i mean five years money right yeah there are working authors and i think that's great and i think it's important to know where you have to put out what the backlist is how that works because it's not like your flash dance and the money's just falling on you everywhere and you're like i'm gonna wait seven years to write my next novel because i can do that yeah can I ask what's your what's your schedule like? So if you're if you're independent publishing a, a little bit, do you do social media time? Like what's your how, how's your day? Um, this is always the worst question because when I hear other authors talk about it, they say, "Oh, I have this schedule and I'm up at this time and I do this." I'll be totally honest. I don't have kids. I make a decent living. I don't do shit unless I have to. <laughs> Um, I'm, I, I will go, I will go weeks without answering emails that I know need to be answered. Um, I will, I will play video games for weeks just because I can. Um, oftentimes it's when that's happening, it, because it's because I'm in a mildly depressive episode and trying to get through it. Uh, but, um, but no, I have zero schedule. I, um, I write nothing most of the time and the other 20, 20% of the time I write a lot. Uh, and, and it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm in a pretty privileged position to be able to even say that because I don't have kids. I don't have to have a schedule. Um, you know, I, I kind of just, when I have a looming deadline, I'm cranking it out. I'm just getting up and I'm getting to writing and I'm, I'm putting out, you know, 6,000 words a day or whatever needs to be done. Um, but if I don't have a looming deadline, it's kind of whatever I feel like, uh, which is really awesome. But it's also like kind of not great for the uh, mental health. Um, and I'm trying to fix it uh, with, you know, with mis mixed success. Do you uh, deadline yourself for your self-published things or not? No. If I have a project that I've started, 
then I'll give myself kind of a loose, okay, I started this novella. It's going to be about 25, 30,000 words. I'll give myself four weeks. I want it done by the end of four weeks and out to beta readers. Um, that's, I'll do that kind of thing with my self-published stuff, but, but I don't, I don't spend a lot of time kind of scheduling or, uh, prepping or, or any of that stuff. I'm, I'm very loosey goosey, uh, probably in an unhealthy way. Posting pre uh, pre-orders might become your best friend because you post for pre-order. You got to meet that deadline because there's no takey backsies with pre-orders. So month yeah. out, you got to do it. See that, that I feel like trying to trick myself in that way. It's just not going to work. Um, because, uh, and this is where I hope my mom isn't listening. Um, which she probably will anyways, mom, don't listen. Cause I might swear. Uh, <laughs> so because if I tried to trick myself, I would, you know, like past self would feel really clever about, oh, I've set up this trick and present self would say, oh, fuck yourself. Um, and, you know, I'm not doing that. I don't care. You can't trick me into this shit. Um, and so, so that's, that. it's, it's not a great. Earmuffs, mom, earmuffs. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I'm not, I'm not good at those, those psychological tricks. I'm way too stubborn for that kind of thing. Uh, so I need to, I e either need to approach writing in like a healthy, um, and this is what I try to do when I'm under deadline is, is, you know, okay, sitting down to write at 10, I need to get X number of words done. And that's my day. And that's when I'm under deadline, that's generally what I do ish. Um, but uh, when I'm not under deadline, I just spend a lot of time goofing off, uh, you know, watching shows and and uh, working in the yard. I so I turned in um, the final draft of In the Shadow of Lightning, which is my next big epic fantasy. Um, I turned that in, I want to say close to two months ago, and I've been kind of just on vacation ever since then, um, you know, as much as you can be on vacation during COVID. Um and well, it depends, uh, uh, you don't live in Florida, obviously, because we don't have COVID down here. Just ask right. everybody, you know, <laughs> everybody's uh, down here on vacation because Florida apparently doesn't have COVID. I'm being sarcastic for everyone listening. So crazy. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, so I just like the last two months or so has basically just been like, I started a podcast, um, that I've been oh. putting out and I, uh, um, which is something I've wanted to do for like three or four years. And I finally kind of got a place where I was, I was in a good headspace to do it because this book was finally out of the way. And, uh, so I started a podcast and I've been trying to just deal with little side business things, uh, but I haven't done any writing for a couple of months and I, I really need to, I keep kind of beating myself up over it every weekend. Like, okay, this week you're going to go, you're going to get out, you're going to do that next novella and you're going to get it out of the way. And then I don't do it. Um, at some point I'm going to in the next, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, uh, but we'll see how that goes. Cause my editor really wants me to start book two, uh, and she's going to get really annoyed if it reaches like December and I'm working on a self-published book instead. Uh, so I could understand her getting annoyed. What is your podcast? Um, so it's called page break with Brian McClellan. And, uh, and I basically, the premise is that I, just sit down and have a casual conversation with my creative friends. Um, and it's, it's meant to be very uh, us just talking about, it's meant to be like sitting down over a cup of coffee, um, us talking about hobbies and our careers 
and our families and pretty much anything. Um, but in a kind of a mutual sort of back and forth way. And you know, I, I kind of prep some questions and, uh, and have some things I want to talk about, but to be generally, I didn't want it to be another writing podcast. Like, uh, and this isn't like a stab at writing podcasts. There's just like, there's a lot of them and a lot, and they do it better than I would. Um, and so this is meant to be a, let's learn a little bit about the people rather than necessarily the craft or things like that. I have no idea what that's like. I did not at all create a podcast where I get authors drunk and then ask them weird weird (laughs) questions and see what they say to me. I have no idea. No, I think it's brilliant. I think that um, I love podcasts like that more than anything. There are a lot of good writing podcasts. There are a lot of very boring writing podcasts because they're very bland. Not that you can't learn things from them, but it's like Mm -hmm. going into a lecture hall sometimes and I'm like okay I just I there's nothing energetic funny or ridiculous about this podcast at all to me so it's hard and I'm not judging some of them are really great but some of them um this that's fantastic um okay so where do you get a lot of your ideas I'm just curious because you're in the high fantasy well actually I gotta go back a tick do you keep world building books do you like, how do you keep track of all of your stuff? Um, I'm trying to be better about notes, but it's mostly just in my head. Um, you know, if, if I, if I drop dead tomorrow, if somebody was like hired to finish the series I'm working on, they would have a rough time. <laughs> uh, Cause it's almost entirely in my head. I, I don't Ooh, keep a lot of notes. I, you know, and that's the thing is that I, I want to be an outliner. But I find that when I do the outlining, I just, it's wasted time for, in my head. I don't think it is wasted time. I think it genuinely outlining, even when I do it, even when I do it extensively, I feel like it's all very useful. Um, But like, there's part of my brain that goes, okay, if I'm putting words on paper, it needs to be, it needs to be like actual plot. Um, So I, you know, I, I have whatever the opposite of world builders disease is. Um, where I'm uh, like, you see this a lot. I, I've gotten way better at both not doing it, but also concealing it when I do. Um, in Promise of Blood, you can, if you if you read between the lines, you will see that I spend a lot of time throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Um, and then if you follow up and read Crimson Campaign, you'll see what didn't stick. You know, little, little tiny side plots and stuff like that that I just dropped. Um, and I've been better about that. I think I've gotten a lot better about it. Uh, but uh, but I still kind of prefer. I pref- what I what I like to do is I like to outline about three to five chapters at a time, um, and so I know what the next few chapters are going to look like. But I don't necessarily know what comes after that. Like I'll have vague ideas of okay, I think this plot arc is going to kind of do this. Um, I'm heading that direction. So I can plan for it ish. And I, I know there's this one moment of cool that I am aiming for. And so I have to set up that moment of cool. Uh, and I know that I want to do a callback to this. And so I need to set up that callback. So I have a, I have a general idea about everything, but I don't have like fastidious notes about what's happening when and things like that. And I never really have. I, I, uh, I kind of, I, I really want to become that author, just like I want to become the author that definitely writes for four to six hours a day, uh, no matter what. 
but I'm I'm still struggling against that. You know, you you're really a solid pantser here, so I'm I'm behind. I can't if I outline, I completely mess up everything I'm doing because I get so distracted by what I've outlined that I'm like, what? Because that's not how the stories go in my head. What were you gonna say, John? I was gonna say, do you have to reread like book one by the time you get to book three, or do you remember it? I mostly remember it. Um, I uh, I don't do a lot of rereading of past stuff. Um, I'm actually trying to be better about that because I've I've been trying. I've been starting to do the kind of the framing in my head for book two of uh, Glass Immortals. And so for like once in my life, I'm actually going back. And I mean, I haven't even reached copy edits yet for uh, book one. And so I will still have to reread it. But I, uh, I, I've actually been going back and doing a lot more rereading. When I was working on Powder Mage, I was actually pretty bad about not rereading. If there was a detail that I needed to call back to, I would go find that specific detail. Um, but I didn't pick up the book and kind of go through chapter by chapter. Um, and I kind of regret that. I think I could have plotted a little tighter if I had. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, once I've kind of finished a book and it's out, I don't really like revisiting it. It feels like, I don't know. It's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like, it it feels a little bit, it feels a little like pining for an ex-girlfriend or something like that, you know, like, (laughs) You're just, I don't know. That's probably not that great of a metaphor, but, but it does kind of, I want it to be done and gone and, and I love it and it's great and it's on my shelf and I will talk with fans about it and all that stuff. But, but I don't necessarily want to kind of keep revisiting it all the time. Let's talk about fans. Cause I said earlier, fans remember our work better than we do. Yeah. So, um, what encounters have you had with fans about details in your book? Have you encountered somebody that talks about a part of it and you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Mom, oh, ab- absolutely. Mom, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I've run into that a few different times, uh, where I just like, I don't have a great memory. Uh, um, I just, things just disappear from it constantly. And I don't know why, I mean, I'm going to hit like 60 and they're going to find a massive brain tumor or something, which will be hilarious to me until they do. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I just forget things constantly. And so, so with my books, I have, I can recall things pretty well. And, and especially if I'm writing a sequel and it's only been a year or two, I'll do pretty well. Um, and I can get the, I can get the vibe of it no problem. Uh, but when it like, but like, if I go to convention and somebody wants to talk about like a particular scene in promise of blood, which I wrote, uh, in 2011, um, I no, I'm not going to remember that at all. Uh, yeah. And so, so I just smile and nod and sometimes it will take a moment and then, and then something will spark my memory and I'll say, Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Um, but other times it'll just kind of go through and I'm smiling and nodding and, and, and everything's great. I hope that this is actually a really real scene and that you're not like bullshitting me right now. I think that would be interesting for a fan to actually do that. This maybe should be my new side project of going up to authors and talk about scenes that didn't actually exist in their book and see if they nod and smile at me about the whole thing. Because I've encountered that where somebody's come up to me to talk about a particular little scene in the book. And I'm like, 
what the hell is she saying right now to me? And I'm just like, I'm so glad you liked it. And then later I go back and look it up and I go, oh, that was in there. What the hell? I, I will say that fans trying to be clever is like the least entertaining thing ever. Um, when you're at a signing and you're a little bit stressed out because you're actually an introvert, but you you can get through it and you're fine. And then they try to be clever with something and you're just kind of caught on the wrong foot and and you have no idea how to respond. That's super stressful. Uh, and so so if you're thinking about that, fans, just 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 don't, <laughs> please. Well, and, and also fans, remember that there are parts that meant the world to you in a story. And there are parts that meant the world to the author in the story and be willing for it to be okay that they are, aren't always the same parts mm -hmm. or the same character. Have you had people cosplay as your characters? Uh, just a couple of times. What was that like? It's very fun. It's very cool to see somebody, you know, just dressed up as a powder mage, you know, with uh, my, my characters tend to be um, in, in Promise of Blood, especially uh, in in the Powder Mage books, especially uh, most of the characters are like decorated soldiers, and so you have to kind of go out of your way to go with the whole Napoleonic soldier vibe, but also that looks like it's kind of magical. Um, and uh, and so uh, so the few times that I've seen that, it's always really dang cool because the the people that will do it, they go all in, and and I love that. As a cosplayer, I do understand you need to go all in. You don't have in. Do you like doing conventions and stuff like that? Do you like meeting the fans? I do. I, I actually, um, even though I'm like, I'm like 90% an introvert and 10% an extrovert. I, uh, I actually love going to conventions. Um, it's, it's great to get out of the house for one thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> pardon. Um, but it's also, but it's also like actually getting to talk to people and kind of get out of that vacuum that is on, in your own head um, and have people say that they liked your books uh, or that they're reading them at all. Uh, you know, you can get a, 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 you can get a royalty statement, which will tell you how many sales you got last year. Um, but that's nothing compared to actually meeting somebody who will come up to you and say, oh, hey, I read X, Y, and Z, and it was really fun, and I'm looking forward to the next book. Um, because that's like kind of, that's like real, it's tangible. It's not just like a email um, that kind of vaguely tells you your sales numbers. Uh, and so so it, it's it's definitely like a, it's a breath of fresh air. And, and with conventions, it's also, conventions tend to be the social life of authors because authors are spread all over the world. We do not, uh, unless you're one of those authors that lives in LA or New York, um, you don't have a local community. You don't have people that do the same thing as you do that you can actually go hang out with. Um, and so, so that's your kind of, that's the water cooler for you as, as a professional writer is going to a convention and then going and hanging out in the green room and getting dinner afterwards and getting drinks and, and actually, uh, and actually seeing your, colleagues for once you know and so so i absolutely adore doing that and uh and and the it's it's a it's that mix of of the public facing getting to actually see people that are reading your books 
which is really dang cool. And, uh, and hopefully it's a good experience for them too. <laughs> uh, versus, but also kind of the more private version of uh, you actually get to see your friends that you, you know, that you also write with and you dick around on Twitter with them. And, uh, uh, and sometimes you're in like a chat room with them and stuff like that, but you only see them once every three years or whatever. No, I think, I think that's a huge part of it. And I think that um, a lot of people don't realize it's, I'd say this a lot, it's different for authors from a celebrity standpoint than, you know, uh, an actor or something like that for the most part. Right. Yeah. And having that fan feedback and stuff like that, I think is important. Um, what, oh my gosh, I had a question and I swear the 3% vodka just kicked it in. Okay. Jen, over to you as I try to remember what the hell I was just about to say. Um, I wanted to ask earlier when you were talking about not having a schedule, uh, are, are you a, a morning person though? Cause you said I do write at 10 or are you like a night owl? Um, How do you so I, I spent most of my life being very much a night owl um, and most of my career so far um, where most of my best writing was done after 9 PM. Uh, and, uh, and then about two years ago, a little over two years ago, I went to London for, uh, for a Comic-Con and, uh, and I spent a couple of, uh, and we, we did, uh, made a vacation with the wife and we went and saw sites and we spent a few weeks there. Uh, and then I got home and, and, you know, when you come back from Europe, you kind of, your, your schedule hasn't flipped back yet. And so you get up at like 5am and stuff like that. And so I, I did that for a couple of days, but then over the next couple of weeks, my sleep schedule only drifted to about eight or 9am, um, as opposed to like noon, which it used to be. Uh, and, and so weirdly I had this little flip where I suddenly went from being very much a, I'm usually up until three or 4am, uh, to, oh, wow. I I'm really tired at midnight. Uh, weird. This is weird. And I'm, I'm not used to it, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, and that's kind of where I've been ever since. So, so yeah, I, I used to be, uh, very much a get up around 11 or noon, go get lunch with my wife, uh, you know, kind of go to the park and, and, you know, get home, play video games, have some dinner. And then eventually I will get to the writing and then I'll pound out a few days worth of work, you know, after 10 or so. Um, and, uh, and then, and now it just doesn't happen anymore. Like my writing day is done by nine, unless I'm on a deadline. Uh, and then I'll, and then I'll write however much I need to. Uh, but, but gosh, like it's been, it's been a while since I've written past about 8 p.m. Weirdly. Yeah. No, Jen's at night now. She stays up till like five o'clock in the morning. Craziness. Oh, COVID Crazy. enabled all of my night owl tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely an enabler. What about, um, who did you get to meet at one of these conventions that you fanboyed over that you were like, this is the best thing ever from an author standpoint? Um, so this is going to sound weird, but I am not a fanboy person. Um, I just don't fan out over people. Uh, occasionally I will see like a, like a big time celebrity at a convention and I like never get to meet them. It's just, I'll see them and I'll be like, Oh, that's somebody really famous. That's cool. Um, like I, I remember I was at a world con, 
uh, back when Game of Thrones was huge at like season two or whatever. And I was at Worldcon and for some reason, I forget the actor's name, but the guy who played the Hound was the like the guest of honor at Worldcon. And I remember walking past him and I was just lost in my own thoughts. And I walk past him and uh, and our eyes meet and my brain went, oh man, that's somebody super famous. And I kind of just, my expression probably went something like, oh, is that guy? And he just like winked at me and then just kept walking. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but like, that's about as fanboy as I get. I, um, I don't really like... Um, I, I got to hang out uh, at uh, Dutch Comic Con four years ago, five years ago. I got to hang out and go to dinner with Joe Hill, uh, which was really cool. Um, but it was one of those things where I didn't actually know who he was when I heard his name. But as soon as I Googled him, I was like, oh, oh, it's that guy. And uh, and so I got to hang out with him a little bit. That was fun. Um, but like I said, I don't I don't really fanboy that much. I just... I just like, oh, that's really cool that they're a very successful person. Um, and, and it's funny because I say that, but then I, I wound up like one of the last conventions I did before COVID. Um, I wound up in the security line at the airport after the convention behind Sean Astin. And I really wanted to say hi to him. There was like a hold up up the line. And I really wanted to say, oh, you're, you're coming back from you know, the convention as well. I, I saw you were a headliner there. That's awesome. I hope you had a good time. I literally could not get the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so, so clearly there's something in my brain that like respects celebrity in some way. Uh, but, but I'm not really a big, oh, you're amazing sort of person. No, I, I think that, you know, in, it doesn't have to be outwardly whatever i think that you know getting to meet authors that you really enjoy or people that you really admire from that standpoint and especially if you get to hang out with them i think it's amazing and cool and i you know more fans should realize that authors are amazing and cool and not that they'll go hang out with you we are promising nothing fans listening <laughs> to this podcast if you go up to brian and go hey so i heard you on the podcast you want to go out to dinner he may say no that might happen. Be prepared. <laughs> Don't be creepy. But I um I tend to be I tend to when I go to conventions I like like I mentioned before there's the two parts of it which is one's the outward facing and one's the you know the the private getting to hang out with my author buddies kind of thing. And uh and it's it's weird because I have made some non-author friends that I still keep in touch with uh that are close friends of mine uh at conventions. But I also, but there's also like, like once I'm off the convention floor, I kind of just want to be Brian, the guy who's trying to go get dinner with his friends. Um, and so, so I, I, if I have ever been rude to someone who wanted to actually like be like more personable with me, I'm super sorry. Cause you know, you get tired and jet lagged and you're like, I just want to go find dinner. And I know the line's going to be two hours and, uh, and so, so yeah, I just, um, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it is a weird place to be in because you have, sometimes you will have fans who very clearly want to hang out with you and want to like get you to go do drinks with them or something like that. And, and honestly, that has been awesome at the few conventions I've been to where I don't actually know any of the other professionals. Um, and so, 
But, but when I do know the other professionals, it's like, I, I, I want to see my friends. I want to hang out with them and I want to have a little bit more private time. I don't want to feel like I need to be on at all times. Right. Um, because, you know, author fame is like a really teeny tiny fame, but you still have to kind of present that public face. Um, and, and that can be exhausting at times. No, totally, totally get it. Okay, we have to wrap up this podcast. What advice would you give to authors out there? Oh, man. Um, no pressure, but you have three seconds. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, my, my advice usually tends to be less on the writing side because writing advice is, you can find it anywhere. Um, there's lots of good podcasts. There's tons of essays. There's whatever. There's, you can find writing advice out the wazoo. Um, my advice tends to more be like, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, if you get a really crappy, uh, rejection letter, or if you have an editor tear you apart or something like that, just let it wash off you. You know, don't take yourself seriously, move on. Uh, don't think that what you're writing is the best thing ever because it's not, um, the chances are it's really bad. <laughs> uh, and and, and, and the funny thing is, is that even once you're a professional author, the chances of what you're writing is bad is still pretty high. Uh, and so, so just try to relax and enjoy it. Um, try to have fun with your writing. Don't have an ego. Don't, um, don't, don't be, don't be like really prissy and sensitive about things, but also, you know, have some self-respect and don't, don't let people bully over and don't, don't take a contract that's obviously bad just because you're desperate. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways you kind of have to learn how to treat yourself once you are trying to become an author. And even early in your career, you're kind of negotiating how you're going to react with the public, how you're going to react with other professionals, how you're going to react with the people you work with, you know, your editors and your art directors and all that stuff and you know be be really relaxed pay your bills on time don't let other people not pay their bills um you know it's it's you know have have uh have respect for yourself and others i like it okay how do fans find you um they can find me at brianmcclellan.com uh they can also find me uh, on twitter at brian t mcclellan um and uh one of those is also my instagram uh so yeah uh i'm, I'm pretty easy to find i've got uh, my new podcast is page break with brian mcclellan and you can find it anywhere uh and uh and my books are the powder mage books uh which if you just google powder mage you're gonna find them um but uh, promise of blood is the first one awesome awesome okay, thank cool. you so much for being on this podcast with us it's of been course a fun. yeah thanks for having me Absolutely. Okay, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. Jay and Paquette. And we'll see you next time.